What is project-based learning? What are the challenges and benefits of this approach to deeper learning? How is PBL different from a simple culminating project? How can you integrate PBL into your existing standards and curriculum? And with all the resources floating around in the education ecosystem, where do you begin? Find out more on this episode of Teach Talks. Hi, I'm Lisa Hollenbach, and I'm your host this week for Teach Talks, a podcast from your friends and colleagues at Teaching Channel. Today, I'm chatting with the brilliant and creative Jennifer Peratt. Jenny is a passionate educator and a teacherpreneur who is deeply committed to making deeper learning for all students and teachers a reality. She was a teacher, both a founding staff member of High Tech High North County and a national faculty at Buck Institute for Education for nine years before leaving the classroom to support teachers implementing project-based learning and other deeper learning practices across the new tech network as a school development coach. Today, Jenny is the founder and president of Crafted Curriculum, a leading provider of professional development for PBL in Southern California. Welcome to Teach Talks, Jenny, and thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Thank you for having me. So how did you ever uh, become interested in project-based learning? How did you first discover it? You know, I think like many teachers, I had successfully gone through my entire credential program without ever hearing about project-based learning, which is kind of crazy in hindsight. Um, but I, you know, I had, this is probably my third year teaching. I had a student and he went on a tour of the high-tech high schools and came back to school and said, Mrs. P. I found your people. You have to go get a job at High Tech High. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I kind of did my homework and went through the whole hiring bonanza. And sure enough, it, I had found my people. I had found things I had been exploring on my own, and it just felt like home. It felt so natural for me to to think about a classroom where it was just wall-to-wall project-based learning. And that was kind of the rest is history. Wow. Uh, You know, there are a lot of buzzwords in education space right now, and project-based learning is definitely a hot topic with a lot of buzz. But the thing about hot topics is that they sometimes, you know, with so many initiatives floating around, the concept can get a little muddy. So what exactly is project-based learning, and how can we distinguish PBL from traditional cooperative learning, problem-based learning, or design thinking, or passion projects, and the like? Oh, man, there are so many definitions floating around. You're right. Um, And I'm finding in my work that that's a really important first conversation to have because the way each person defines PBL is completely different, and that makes it really complicated when we're not operating from the same definition. So, um, you know, in my work, I like to really focus on quality. So the, the new HQ PBL movement has just aligned beautifully to my work. Um, and so for me, what I talk to educators about is really just doing, doing less and doing it well, mm-hmm. like a true craftsman. So, you know, there's, there are some non-negotiables in in the way I, I approach PBL and, and I do think that's a little bit unique. So one being that work is really rooted in standards. So I think there's a lot of misconceptions around project based learning and I enter in right off the bat saying, you know, standards need to be at the core of what we're designing for students. And there needs to be some really clear clear learning targets and mapping onto that things like assessment, which I know is such a dirty word for teachers, you know, benchmarks and <laughs> um, assessment tools. It, it, it kind of freaks people out, but it's like, you know, the, 
I think it's gotten a bad rap, and and I also think that people just assume PBL is like this really organic thing where standards and assessment are part of it. So that's a big myth that I like to bust right out the gate. Is you know it's it's got to have those things in there. And then the, you know, the real the other really important piece is just authenticity, which is also a big buzzword. Um, but for me, I just try to distill it down to there needs to be. A, a real problem that we're trying to solve, like what you described, you know, inquiry-based, collaborative learning, hands-on, maker ed, that can all fit in there. But PBL is really the larger framework for how we think about standards and assessment and and the end experience for students, where they ultimately going to create or produce and for whom. You know, that sounds great. And I think that the way you describe it there is um, a, a major win for teachers when they're trying to convince administrators and parents that that PBL isn't just play in the classroom, that there's something a lot meatier behind it, and that it's serving the standards and the larger goals. Yeah, and I think it goes both ways, you know, for administrators thinking about how to get teachers on board, because oftentimes teachers feel like PBL is something in addition to what they're already doing. And when we talk about standards and assessment being at the core of what we're designing these learning experiences, they're like, oh, well, I have to do that anyway. So I, I really do think it, it goes both ways in that sense. Right. And and much of your work with PBL, you speak about deeper learning. What do you think distinguishes deeper learning from that more surface level learning? And how does PBL help students shift to more deeper, authentic learning? Um, yeah, so similar to PBL, deeper learning is a buzzword that has a lot of different definitions. So um, I also like to share with people Hewlett's deeper learning competencies. That's kind of the definition that I operate from. Um, and so I'm not sure if, if um, listeners have seen those, but, you know, they outline things like problem solving and agency and collaboration. But more importantly, it drills down to, like, what that looks like in practice. So. That, that's the definition that, that I like to operate off of. And there's a lot of different ways to get to deeper learning. PBL is just one vehicle. And, you know, in all of this work, it seems like there's a lot of margin for an unintentional error or mistake that can be made. So what do you think in the work that you've done are the most common mistakes that a teacher can make when attempting PBL that, if left unchecked, might derail the long-term success in implementation? Yeah, you know, and the first thing that comes to mind is probably the biggest mistake that I made when I was in the classroom and in PBL, which was I didn't know I didn't know what what benchmarks were, and I didn't realize that there needed to be kind of like these milestones in the project. So I remember it was the first project I ran, and I I did know that audience mattered, right, as authenticity. So I invited in like these pretty high profile people in the community for my students to do this presentation of learning and my my students got up there and the project completely flopped and I remember sitting in the back and I was mortified but in hindsight when it was over I thought well, I didn't really check to be sure that they knew the content before it came time for the final production and I no one had really talked to me about the importance of that so that's the first thing that I, I coach teachers through when we're working together is how do we set up some benchmarks, which are really just safety nets, to be sure that students have the skills and the content mastered before they move on to the next phase of the project? Because if we don't do that, the foundation isn't there. It's a faulty foundation that they continue to build on. 
So that usually feels really good to teachers because they're like, oh, okay, I can do that. I can do formative assessment, right? Like that's, Mm -hmm. in some cases it's traditional and that's okay. So I think it feels very comfortable to them. It's not like we have to throw the baby out with the bathwater and just overhaul everything. So that's probably the the biggest piece that I end up spending a lot of time with teachers on is, is developing benchmarks that have some really clear deliverables that we can formatively assess before students move forward and, and end up flopping like my kids did in my first project. <laughs> you know, I tell you that that scenario sounds way too familiar to me. Uh, it happened, you know, more than once and maybe just not realizing um, at the time project-based learning, I think was new when I started working with it in my classroom. And, and I think that, you know, I didn't have resources um, like the ones we're seeing, um, say, at, at Crafted Curriculum or at Teaching Channel or in many other places that um, help to describe um, what this actually is. It isn't just a project. So um, it takes me back watching those projects fall apart and wondering, what could I have done better here? I don't know what went wrong. Um, so, yeah. It's, it's- yeah, you know, and, and I've been so relieved to see the work um, really that that's been pushed through the Deeper Learning Network and those resources of trying to wrap our minds around assessing 21st century. I mean, that's people with PhDs at really prestigious universities are spending a lot of time <laughs> thinking about this. I mean, it's very, it's a niche, right? And so um, for teachers, it's maybe been a long time since they've gone through a credentialing program or there just isn't a lot of work that's being put into supporting teachers in their development of creating assessments, it's really hard, really mm-hmm. hard. So it's nice to see some of the open ed resources that we're seeing from places like BIE and Mantec and like the Mental Teaching Channel, obviously, that's helping us really improve our craft in that regard. Right. And, you know, it's, I'm glad that you mentioned it, that it's difficult work because uh, it's not just a project that you tack on to a unit. And there's a lot of thinking on the teacher's part too behind it to make it work. And many teachers kind of shy away from PBL because they worry about an ability to adequately manage or organize, or like you talked about, accurately assess student projects so that they get, um, so they get really great feedback about student learning. Um, So what would you say to that teacher who's cautious about those possible pitfalls? Yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, and so I work with a lot of veteran teachers. I, I, I think about well, when I'm kind of going to tell you this story, I'm thinking about like the kin- so many kinder teachers I work with, right. Who have just been doing it for so long and they are, just, they're my heroes. They're so good at what mm-hmm. they do. So you sit down and design a project with a kindergarten teacher. They know darn well, you can't throw five kinders in a group and ask them to work together to, you know, solve a design solution for a weather issue around their campus. Like it's just not going to work. They know that they have to scaffold those skills and that they're sub-skills to scaffolding collaboration, right? You can't just throw them in a group and tell them, like, follow along with these roles. They have to be really explicit about what it looks, sounds like, feels like, and put in all the work so that those students can successfully collaborate in a group. So I think that's, that's a really big piece that I try to remind teachers is you know what good teaching is, right? Like, You've been doing this a long time. No one knows your kids better than you. You know how to scaffold skills. And those same practices have to show up in your project. Right. And I think, you know, um, having that in place, certainly the scaffolding in place certainly is going to make teachers feel a lot better. And 
I would think, and tell me if you agree, that once you start working with a, a group of kids, whether they're kinders or whether they're 12th grade, when they get used to the skills that are involved in PBL, um, your third project is going to be way easier than your first. Oh, yes. And then for the upper grade, you know, it's so great when the light bulb kind of comes on and when I'm working with, say, like a fifth grade team and we're planning a project and they think, they kind of realize like, wow, if students were, you know, really self-reflecting on their agency and it was being scaffolded in K1, 2, 3, 4, man, imagine what they'd be like when they came to us. Mm. Like, you know, it's the world is, it's, we're unstoppable. <laughs> like it's just everything, the possibilities open up for them. So, and then you can imagine, right, like in an entire K-12 school district, if these same skills were just continuing to be built on every year, what our graduates would look like. I mean, it's really an exciting vision and, and North Star in places where they're really getting on board and thinking about how to support teachers and students right. as a holistic experience when they're in school in their entire district. And you think about um, what work world would look like for those kids who have had that experience from K through 12 of learning to think with the competencies that we build in PBL. Um, what would their work life be like in their career uh, when they have all of those skills that are so well honed over the years? And how would they stand out from others in their field? Oh, gosh. I mean, how often do we hear about people complaining about millennials in the workplace? <laughs> right. And like, it really boils down to agency. Like, that's the word that I could attach to every complaint I hear is just that there's this lack of agency. And, you know, when you work with secondary teachers, every one of them kind of rolls their eyes and gets frustrated because there's such a lack of agency in students, yet really no one is kind of owning that that needs to be something that we're scaffolding and assessing from the very, very early grades and every year thereafter. Like, mm -hmm. it, it, it can't just go away and we can't expect that students are going to have those skills, yet we all wish that they did. So I just, I can't even imagine how much more innovative and productive, you know, people would be in the workplace if this was something that was just explicitly being supported and, and really fostered in wow. their K-12 experience. Yeah, I think the world would be, you know, such a different place if we all had those skills and, and they were, we were all very competent um, in the skills. I mean, yeah, you know, we, <laughs> I always laugh at the, the sub-skills of collaboration. Honestly, most adults don't have those skills. Like truly listening, I'm a terrible listener. You know, like everyone has a joke about their spouse and how we really don't listen to them at the end of the day. <laughs> and you think about like, wow, I mean, the world, as work, workplace aside, I mean, these are just like really important human skills. Yeah. And, you know, you, you bring up of, of listening and I do a lot of work in um, improv in my off time. And and that's one of the major skills uh, that's built into the, the improv mindset as well. And it's so important. And to stretch it into just basic communication every day, if we listened better, how many problems could we avoid? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. And, and and there's a lot of, you know, like you said, there's a lot of different vehicles that we that we can used to kind of develop those skill sets. Um, and so PBL isn't the only way, but it sure does lend itself nicely to it. Definitely. And, you know, as people are listening uh, to us talk right now about this, we, we're sure painting a great picture 
of, of what the world in education and then some would look like if we all had mastered uh, the skills involved in PBL uh, during our school years and what we can do for our students if we do that now. And I imagine some of them are getting a little excited about um, trying this in their classroom. It's the perfect time of year to do that. So what do you think your best advice and maybe a few actionable tips might be for teachers who are listening and want to get started with PBL right now? Um, I think first and foremost, I would say uh, just do one thing well. I, I think, you know, when we look at, there's a lot of really great frameworks out there for what makes for high quality projects, some wonderful exemplars that we can access that, you know, that are available to us on the internet. And oftentimes we look at those and it gets really overwhelming. And I will tell you, after having been a PBL designer and facilitator for 10 years, the last project I did was by far the most exhausting, difficult project of my career. So <laughs> it's not one of those things that gets easier. And we never really arrive at conquering all the things that we see and kind of like these exemplars. So that's the first thing that I try to walk teachers through is like, hey, let's pick one thing we want to do really well. Like, do you want to make a project that feels really authentic? Do you want to do a project where students have a lot of choice and they maybe get to pick three final products instead of one? Um, you know, whatever whatever your flavor is going to be, just, just kind of land on one and then let's really focus on scaffolding and assessing that and, and, and doing that well. Um, and, you know, in terms of, of a, a pretty clear actionable step, when I'm working with teachers on designing a project, I know that it's hard to think about where to get started, like where to come up with an idea. So one thing that I suggest is starting with driver standards. And driver standards in PBL really are either NGSS or um, social studies. So, uh, you know, the way NGSS is set up is you can search by bundles, which are really helpful because it gives you some thematic uh, kind of concepts that go together. And, and they're written with some overarching language. So you'll see some things that automatically pop up, things like human impact. That's a really popular one that teachers who are new to PBL will start with. So thinking about human impact on local ecosystems and you to either educate or advocate or develop a plan for that. So um, that's one place to get started is either your, your science standards or your social studies standards and start thinking about how that can map onto a problem in, in your surroundings, in your community at school or broader community in the neighborhood around you um, and then kind of working through the process from there. Wow. As a social studies teacher, I'm really excited to hear that we start with social studies instead of trying to find a place to squish it in. Um, yeah, it, just, it gives some really nice context and, and ELA can pretty easily support that work. Great. And they sound like really, um, you know, not they're not overwhelming actionable steps for teachers if they were looking to um, find a place to start right now to plan for the next year. Um, are there any other quality resources that you think uh, you can point to to help teachers learn a little bit more about PBL and deeper learning? Uh, one thing that teachers always mention they want to see are models or exemplars. So I have a couple favorites that I often point teachers to, and um, those are provided by Expeditionary Learning and their models of excellence. High Tech High has some great projects that you Buck Institute for Education as well. So those are usually the three places that I, I point teachers to just start and getting an idea. Sometimes teachers will even find existing projects that they like, and then a first step might just be modifying it to make it work for your your students. So 
um, that also feels like a pretty easy lift sometimes for teachers. And BIE has a really great um, kind of sub link off their website, which is PBLU, like as in university, and mm. they have existing projects. It's like, you know, a 30 page packet and it's ready to go. Like it has all the all the lesson plans, all the all the rubrics in there. And so teachers sometimes feel really good with those as an entry point in, into PBL. And then the other resource that I, I really point teachers to a lot is teaching channels because they want to say, or they will say something like, I want to know what this looks like. Like, yes, I mm. see, you know, the, the final product, but what did that look like in practice? And so we'll oftentimes look through um, either the deeper learning series or even kind of drill down into smaller strategies. And so they can see what that looks like. It's like a snapshot into the classroom for them that they really appreciate. Right. And that's something teachers don't really get all too often. Uh, they're busy teaching their own classes, so they don't have the opportunity as much as they should to see master teachers working on a project or even just a lesson. So it's great to be able to have something to point to um, so teachers can see what does it look like when I'm doing this the right way. Yeah. And the teaching channel ones feel so digestible too. You know, like um, I'm just thinking of like my favorite no. I can show that one to any any staff and they'll be like, oh, I could do that tomorrow, you know? So I, I think it, it does a nice job of breaking it down and making it feel manageable too. Great, great. That's always good to hear. Now, at the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned that you're the founder and president of Crafted Curriculum. Um, so maybe tell us a little bit more about that adventure and um, what your goals are for Crafted Curriculum and how teachers can find out more about the work you're doing. Hi, it, it was an adventure, um, and it, it is every day. <laughs> Starting Crafted was not something that I ever saw as being part of, of my kind of career trajectory. Um, it really happened as a result of a lot of struggles, a lot of um, just challenges I faced in the work of supporting teachers through PBL. I, I was frustrated a lot, um, and I knew that, that I wanted to be, I wanted to be more involved, and I wanted to be with the teachers in the trenches, rolling my sleeves up, not behind closed doors with decision makers who were, were oftentimes disconnected. So I really, and you know, that's the goal of my work is to stay in the trenches and to really be an advocate for teachers uh, and to continue to create strategies that are meeting them where they are. Because while there's a growing number of resources out there, sometimes those resources are pretty theoretical. So, you know, when I go into a school and they're like, oh, well, we have to do mystery science and we have to do, um, you know, this benchmarking program and we have to do report cards like this. That's, to me, like the messy part of it, that's the fun work of like, okay, lay it all out on the table and let's still make a project that works with all of these things. So my goal is just to, to, to stay doing that kind of work so that I can continue to make resources and and tools for teachers that's really meeting them where they are in the trenches right now. Right. And, you know, that that really is um, so important to stay connected and grounded in the work that's happening. It sounds so exciting that that you're um, able to get into the classrooms with teachers and get your hands dirty and help them uh, do that hard work of putting this kind of learning together. It sounds like a dream job, is it? It is. And, I, you know, I feel like I've kind of grown to hate that word impact, but 
I feel like it really is impact because I know that it's making its way to teachers and the work is happening and I can see it happening and I can see it getting mm. better each time. So I get to come back and then we design the second project. So it just, it feels, it feels so good. And it feels good to know that it's actually helping and making its way to kids. Oh, that's amazing. And so how can teachers find out more about what you're doing or maybe how to get you to come visit them in their classrooms? Um, so I would say follow me on social media, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook as well. I post my daily adventures. So as silly as they are, sometimes they're hard to see or it's me making a silly face, whatever it might be. <laughs> I really try to just kind of document the process for people and to show them what it looks like in all of the, you know, the variety of contexts that I'm working in, because I think it's helpful for people to, to then be able to imagine what it could look like for them. So I would say follow me on, on Facebook. Um, I do my best to keep my, my website up to date as well. And, um, and I, you know, email me with any questions. I, I'm such a PBL nerd. I mean, I can geek out on this stuff all day. So I'm happy to answer questions for anyone who's, who's got more specific things that they want to dive into. Wow. I imagine you're a terrific resource. Um, do you know uh, of any uh, spaces on Twitter? You mentioned social media. Are there any chats that a teacher can join um, that talk specifically about these types of initiatives or anything that you regularly join that is helpful in your work? Yes, PBL chat. Tuesday night, I want to say it's the first Tuesday of the month, and I know they take a break in the summertime, um, but that's put on by New Tech Network. So if you are not following them, I recommend following New Tech Network, and they do a good job of reminding us when the chats are coming, but they're just super practitioner-based, and so that's, that's a chat that I really recommend if you're thinking about this kind of work um, to, to join that national conversation, because I always get good stuff out of that one. Great. Well, that's about our time for today, Jenny, and this was a fascinating conversation. So thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and to share your expertise on project-based learning and deeper learning. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. And uh, for all of you listening out there, be sure to check out the episode description in the podcast and the blog post to access all of the resources that Jenny mentioned today. And with the natural ebb and flow of the teacher year, things slow down just a little at Teaching Channel during the summer months. But you can look forward to a back-to-school blog series from Jenny around helping you get started with PBL at the end of July. Um, you can also find Jenny on Twitter at CraftEdCM. And you can find me at Lisa underscore Hollenbach. And we'll see you on the next episode.